0: Hey, good morning, everyone. You now, I have to admit, I kind of looked around watching you guys worship. It's amazing. I love hearing your voices and just, just, just worshiping Christ and lifting him up. Can we just thank him this morning and just thank God for his goodness? Amen. He's so good. We're so glad that you're here this, here this morning. Just so excited about the baptisms this morning. There's something about when Christ transforms a life. And isn't it amazing that it doesn't matter what your background is, how you're raised, what mistakes that you've made, Christ is the one that does the complete transformation. And it's so exciting to see a heart and a life that is dedicated to Christ and how He changes us and how He renews us and how He forgives us of our our sins. And we can walk in that newness of life. This is going to be a whole sermon within the sermon, but we started early, so I'm jumping right into it. But it just... For, for those of you that maybe are here or uh, just witnessing this today, really, baptism is just it's symbolic of what Christ has already done in our hearts. And what it, what it displays, it d- displays us dying to ourselves, going under the water, and being raised in the power of Christ, through the power of his resurrection. So it's symbolic of my old life being buried and my new life coming up brand new for Jesus. Amen. Five minutes in the sermon, I'm already crying. So um, I'm excited. I'm excited this morning. I'm glad that you're here. Um, We are doing a study in the book of James. And today, I'm just going to tell you buckle your seatbelts, because we're going to be talking about temptation today. And we're talking about how do we deal when temptation comes into our life. And every single one of us in this place, everyone watching online, we deal with temptation. And what James is going to do, James, as we've discovered, is the brother of Jesus. He was head of the Jerusalem church. He didn't become a follower of Jesus until after the resurrection, which gives so much authenticity to, the, to who Jesus is and being the son of God and, and being God because having your brother follow you, that would never happen, right? But James saw the power of the resurrection, and knew who Jesus was, and gave his life. In fact, much as church history tells us that, that James died a martyr's death for the sake of the call of Jesus in his heart and his life. And James writes this letter to those who, who are kind of dispersed throughout, uh, around Jerusalem, around Israel writes to the church of just problems that the church is having like any other church, right? How to get along, how to treat one another, how to deal with suffering, how to deal with persecution. And what James does here is he deals with temptation. How do we deal with temptation? And what I love about the book of James, it's just very practical, but basically what James says, the theme of James is very simple. It's basically saying this, your faith has to have feet. Your faith has to have feet. It's more than just believing It's more than just saying you have a belief. But what James is saying, let what you know about Christ be displayed in how you live your life before others. If Christ has truly transformed our lives, then it should be seen in the way we live our lives, the way we conduct our lives, how other people look at our lives. It's more than just a church thing or a religious thing. It's a life transformation thing that changes everything about your life. And so what James is going to deal with today is how do we deal with temptation and taking responsibility for our lives? Authentic faith lives out what we believe in Jesus. And so James deals with this section of his letter about temptation. And he's going to speak about taking responsibility for our wrong desires. So are you ready? Buckle your seatbelts. It's going to get real turbulent in here for a little while. Then we're going to land the plane, and it's going to be good. So just get ready. So let's see what James said, because I, what I love about James, pulls no punches. And what he's going to do for us here today, he's going to tell us, we need to take responsibility for our lives. We need to take responsibility for the temptation that comes in our lives and how we deal with it. So are you ready? ready. You're ready. ready. Okay. James 1, 13 through 15. It says this. Let no one say... When he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Amen to God's word? (laughs) <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> so you're stuck here with me for the next 30 minutes. So wh- wh- I, want you to, I want you to think of, of something here. Have you ever wondered why it's hard to own your mistakes? Right? Why is it so hard for us to take responsibility for our part, which is our fault? Why is that so hard for us? It's, it's easy to, to admit when we're right. And we're correct. Have you done that with your spouse, or another, or another person? You're saying, "See, I told you, I was right, I was correct." But then we have to say that we're wrong. It's, it's a much different scenario. See, we don't we don't want to be wrong. It's difficult for us to own our shortcomings. This is what James is going to dig into here. And I want you to think for a moment. What was the last time that you admitted you were wrong, and made a mistake, and you owned it? You actually owned your mistake see we don't like to admit it was our fault and when james is saying when we are tempted he says don't place the blame on someone else or even god he say we have to take responsibility so let me give you a couple of excuses that maybe you've made, that I've made in our lives about not taking responsibility for our lives or maybe even temptation in our lives or when, or when we were wrong. Are you ready? Let I me mean, just throw these things out here. I know this is going to relate to any one of us here in this room or those watching online, but let's, let's look at excuses we make for wrong behavior. Are you ready? If it wasn't for this, I wouldn't have done that. So you fill in the blank. If it wasn't for this person or whatever, if it wasn't for this, then I wouldn't have done that. How about, how about this one? If it wasn't for that person, I wouldn't have acted that way. Boy, it's got real quiet in here. It got real, real quiet in here, right? Uh, how, about, how about this one? Um, now, this one is specifically for me, so I'm just going to throw it in there, Ready? Right? If it wasn't for bad drivers, I wouldn't have lost my patience. <laughs> Can we do a little therapy session here with all of us? How many can relate? Say amen, pastor, amen, right? It's, if it wasn't for bad drivers, I wouldn't have lost my patience. Or what about this? If you would act the right way, I wouldn't have gotten angry. All right? We've heard, I, I know it's touching a nerve here, because we've heard these, right? Let me just give you one more, and, and, and we'll get off this. But if you would change, I wouldn't be the way I am. Heard it, I've heard it. Right? See, we are good. Let's just get honest. It's going to start getting real bumpy. So let's just get real honest with ourselves. We are good at deflecting blame for our behavior on others. We're good. We're really good at doing that. Whether it's in whether I've dealt, you know, in, in counseling with, you know, marital counseling with people that just can't get along, or just or people that just can't get along. The hardest thing to admit is that I may have a part of this. It may be something in my life. In fact, I heard a pastor do this when he was doing marital counseling with something that was pretty interesting. What he would do is when the couple would come in and they'd have a disagreement and they're, and they're knocking along and there's, there's feuding going on in the relationship, he'd draw a big circle. And the first thing he would say is, okay, what I want you to do is both of you. I know why you're here and you're both upset, but I just, on this big circle, just draw a slice in the circle of what your responsibility is and what your part is, right? 100% of the time, he said, nobody's going to want to draw a slice and admit it's partially their fault. Why? Because if you draw a slice, you got to be nice, right? (laughs) Right? See, nobody, even if it's a 1% slice and 99% is the other person's fault, we don't want to admit it we don't want to admit that it's our fault. So, what, what is the problem? What is the root of our reluctancy to own our mistakes? Is it other people? Is it bad drivers? Is it the people that I work with? Is it my crazy relatives? I mean, who... Wh- what is at the heart of all of this? At the heart of all of this is our hearts. It's, in, it's within us. We have to know ourselves. Now, let me dig. Just track with me here and follow me here because if you can get this, if you can understand this concept, if you can understand the spiritual concept that, that James is trying to pull out here, it'll save you so much heartache. So much heartache in your relationships, your family relationships, your married relationships. You have to know your heart. Every single one of us have blind spots in our lives that we don't see that we are blinded to and so we have to be careful and this is what James is pulling out we need to understand that the priority of my heart is to take care of me is to take care of me that's the proclivity of our heart and here's the issue we are always more lenient with ourselves than we are with other people we are much more inclined to show ourselves grace than to show other people grace. Is anybody out there today? Just just checking. Got real real quiet, right? Hey, those of you parents with, with teenagers, right? You, you get down on your teenager, and, and you know you, you, they may have done something wrong or knucklehead or whatever, and you get down on them. As they get older, they get a little wiser, and they begin to talk to grandma and grandpa about your life. And some of the mistakes that you made, right? And, and, and they got this in their holster. Just waiting for that time to bring it back to you, right? they that ever to you parent? And they're like, you know, I was, okay, you're getting down on me for this. But, you know, I was talking to grandma and grandpa. And I always told my kids, don't listen to grandma and grandpa because they're crazy. So they don't know what they're talking about. Don't listen to them. But, but have you ever done that? And then you're like, well, they told me. When you and then all of a sudden you go like oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, you do, right? See, we all have blind spots. We we're much more inclined to give ourselves grace than other people, and we have to be careful about how much we trust ourselves. And we need to understand how sin works in our lives. Sin is devastating. And this is why James says the temptation is not the sin. It's when we give into it because it destroys relationships. And God doesn't want our relationship with Him to be hindered by the things that can erode that relationship, the things that can erode the freedom that we have in Christ. God is not some, you know, godly, cosmic killjoy in heaven just wanting to make your life miserable by telling you what you can't do. In fact, it's just the opposite. He's trying to show you freedom and what to spare you from. Because if you look back over your regrets and the bad decisions that you made, if you boiled it all down, it came down to temptation to give in to some evil desire or whatever that lustful desire was to try to to fill some need in our heart that we thought it was going to fulfill when only at the end of the day it left us empty. And... Wanting more. Man, that's good preaching right there, right? That's the truth. So let's understand something here. Let's understand our hearts. So James tells us that the temptation comes from within us to give into that desire. The desire comes from within us. See, listen, we all want to know how special we are, right? How great we are, that we're all snowflakes, that we're all unique, that we have the potential to do great things. Those things, you know, listen, we do. We do have potential to do good things, to have good, healthy relationships, to come under the authority of Christ and to glorify his name in our lives. We do have the potential to do that. While this may be true, we must realize that we also have the potential to do great harm, even within the church. Church, let's be honest with ourselves. There's some of you sitting here today and you got hurt in church. There are things that were done that were not correct, that were wrong, that were done with malicious intent. And I want you to understand that just because it's the church doesn't mean that, that those things don't happen or wrong things don't happen. That's why we constantly have to guard our hearts all the time and submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so we need to understand our heart. As much as I have the potential to make my marriage great, I also have the potential to destroy it through my bad choices. As much as I have the potential to help the church, and bless the church, and give to the church, I also have the potential to bring division, and cause disunity within the church. As much as I have the potential to bless people, I also have the potential to gossip about people. We need to restrain ourselves when we have the opportunity to talk about others without talking to them. So, what James tells us is: James tells us we all have the potential to be led away and enticed. Know yourself. This truth will keep us humble and dependent on God. Not to to destroy your life, not to make you feel unworthy to serve Christ, but in fact, the opposite is true. When I understand my weaknesses and the proclivity of my heart to do things that could harm the kingdom of God, when I live under that type of knowledge, it keeps me humble under God and my obedience to him and him alone, that I have the possibility to do things that aren't godly, I, I, I shared this true story before, the story before, but it is so perfect about understanding our heart and the potential to do harm. Um, there was a 1983 60 Minutes piece. Uh, uh, it was done through Mike Wallace the 60 Minutes, uh, and it was a piece on Adolf Eichmann, and um, just an incredible. I actually got to watch it on YouTube, the whole segment, and it was unbelievable. But in this segment on 60 Minutes, Mike Wallace documented the story of of Eichmann, who was a a Nazi SS officer in charge of Jewish extermination. And Eichmann had escaped the post-war justice by fleeing Germany and going to Argentina, where he remained a fugitive for 15 years, finally was captured and put on trial in 1961. Now, Wallace asked the viewers, he said this, How is it possible for this man to act as Eichmann acted? So he he threw out these questions and he said, He said this, was he a monster? And we would think, Yeah. Um, Was he a madman? Many of us sitting here would think, Yeah. Or perhaps something even more terrifying. And Wallace asked this question Was he normal? If that's not a bomb that just dropped into your heart, listen, listen, let's go further. Wallace filed this question with the interview of a, of a concentration camp survivor named Yehiel DeNure. And, and, and what he did, DeNure was brought to the trial to testify against Eichmann. And the film clip showed DeNure, actually you could see it, walking into the courtroom. He sees Eichmann, his captor. He begins to weep uncontrollably and Denier falls on the floor. Now, people watching are thinking, oh, he just saw his captor, this horrible person that did evil things and he was just overwhelmed with emotion. And this is what was explained to Wallace. Denier explained to Wallace, he says, when I saw him, I was afraid about myself. He said, I saw... In myself, that I'm capable of doing this. I am exactly like he. So, as Wallace closed the segment, he concluded Eichmann is in all of us. What a powerful statement. Is it possible that I could perpetrate this type of evil? Deneur understood. His heart. Power and authority can cause people to do evil things, even within the church. Listen, when we have control over someone in an authority position, that's a very dangerous position to be in because everybody wants to be in control. Very few people want to be the servant, right? And serve someone else. We, we want to be in control. We want to be the one making the decisions. That, that's fun because it's power. And where we need to be careful, whatever position you may be in, that power position, when someone's underneath you and they're vulnerable, if you're not careful, can actually feed your power and your need to be in control. Where it can cause you to do things you ought not do. And if you can boil down the Nazi regime, it was that this power to be in control and usurp power over another group of people who are helpless to defend themselves. Listen, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I didn't share this in the first service, but it just popped my head. We need to do all we can to help those who can't help themselves. To watch out for them. The widow. The single mom. Those who are being taken advantage of. Those who are in the sex slave industry, human trafficking. Be careful with authority and power. And I'm so thankful that this illustration of Danur, Yahil Dinor, that he realized that in his heart. We should never, ever say this would never happen to me. See, here's what James is saying. We are led astray, not by God. God doesn't tempt us to evil. It's our hearts that lead us astray. And it's interesting, James uses this word lure, the lure of temptation. To be lured means to be drawn out. Now, what's interesting about this, this imagery of luring someone, it's actually a fishing illustration, which I love. So, it's a fish, so let me explain to you what this means, because this is a great, great way to parallel a fishing illustration for those of you that like to fish. Bass fishing is precisely this. Um, what you're doing is you're trying to lure a bass out of its hiding place. So the type of fishing that Wesley and I like to do a lot, we use soft plastics. He switched over to the Ned Rig, if you guys understand that. I still like Wacky Rigs, so if any of you, I maybe relate to about two people in this room, maybe five of you, but, but follow me here. It's finesse fishing. You're looking for the bass under docks, by structures. So for Wes and I, we love, to, we love casting under docks because that's where the bass like to hide. And when you catch one underneath the dock, it's just fun, man. And so what, that, what this certain rig does is like a wacky rig. You hook it in the middle. Like anybody cares. But just, just humor me. You hook it in the middle of about a 5-inch Senko worm, plastic worm, and you let it, it flutters. It looks so good. And, and there's like speckles in the worm. It's shiny. It's like, I go, I want to bite it. Like, I want to just, right? but I know better because there's a hook in there and it just flutters and they can't resist it. And it flutters down and that bass hits it and it's lured out of its hiding place. But behind the lure is the hook. It's the hook that grabs the fish because the fish took the lure. See, this is what James is talking about. The temptation lures us. Who takes the hook? We do. We do. It's our own desire within us. And so how can we be enticed? Well, James in verse 10 of the same chapter tells those who are wealthy to walk in humility. Humility will protect you. So what is he saying? Be careful by saying our goodness or maybe our success, these things can entice us to think that we are more than we are. We can become arrogant, I'm better, I'm smarter, I'm more successful. This is why I'm doing so well in my life. And we can stand back and say, look at all I do. Maybe even look at all I do around the church, look at how much I help. But James puts all this into perspective and says, your wealth is only here for a moment and gone the next. A humble person will say, God, thank you for your grace. Let me use all I have and let me give it to you for your glory and your purpose. A, a, purpose. a humble person doesn't feel entitled. A humble person doesn't say, I deserve this because of what I do. So James tells us that we sin because we want to. We want to. So don't blame Your sin on the temptation. The temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted, the word of God tells us, in every way that we are, but he never sinned. Our desires lure us into giving into the temptation which causes us to sin and rebel against God's will in our life. So we have to realize that it's nobody's fault but my own, through my own desires, right? Right? And once again, we want to deflect the blame. But when we can own that, it will actually set you free. Now, I don't know, some of you may, may have failed your driver's permit the first time. Don't raise your hand, right? Or maybe some of you, you know, you failed your driver's test a couple times before you got it, right? Now, when you fail a test or fail your driver's test, um, is it right to go to the DMV and blame them for giving you the test, <laughs> Right? What's D- the DMV? Dad, the DMV's got it in for me. They just don't like me. DMV. They don't like me, right? See, we need to understand that we will do what we want to do, and we'll deflect that by not taking ownership of it, right? So some of you, you finally passed your test. It's because you started learning how to drive, or you actually studied for the test. In fact, some of you still don't know how to drive, but that's okay. That's okay. I see you on 104. Okay? I see you. You don't see I see you. I'm not gonna name any names. Crazy living word drivers. But anyways, here's the thing: James says, know yourself. Know the proclivity of your heart and know that sin is right there. So how do we protect ourselves? How do we protect ourselves? Basically, how we protect ourselves, we need to know that what lurks within us can be lured out by the temptation. Know your heart. Submit to Christ. What is lust? It can be a good thing that just becomes an ultimate thing. Right? Like, I want to be successful. Right? And That's okay. But when that thing becomes a lust for life, it becomes an ultimate thing in your heart that displaces God in your heart. That's where it becomes wrong. That's where it becomes sinful. So it's not necessarily wrong to want to be successful or do well in life. Where it turns bad is when I'm cons- consumed by that success. The lie comes in when my identity and who I am is entirely dependent on whether or not I succeed. Right? And see, we want people to see our success. Have you, have you ever talked to someone and they told you all the things that they're doing and you never asked? Aren't those fun conversations? Those are just fun conversations, right? See, we deal with the temptation by telling ourselves we're never above failure. It's being honest with yourself. So what this does is, in fact, it causes me to be dependent on Christ. And this is what the Apostle Paul did. When the Apostle Paul prayed for the thorn that was in his flesh to be removed, he prayed three times. And the answer was probably not what Paul wanted to hear, but was what, was Paul, what Paul needed to hear. And what God said to him is, I heard your prayer. I know what you're going through. And it's not that I'm not sympathetic to what you're going through. But I want you to understand that in your weakness, I'm strong. And my grace will be sufficient for you. God loved Paul so much that he wanted to keep him in a dependent, humble position. Because Paul saw so many great things. And God used Paul in such tremendous ways that that can turn on a dime if we're not careful. Because we can look at our success, even the things that we do for the Lord, and we can take the credit for it. And that's where temptation can lure us away into sin. So by allowing this thorn, whatever it was, it allowed Paul to depend on God's grace and mercy and that in his weakness, God was going to give him the strength and the power to endure. Only Jesus can truly give your identity and genuine esteem. So when you're tempted to get angry with someone because things didn't go your way, when you're tempted to gossip about someone to another person, when you're tempted to do something that you know will harm you or your relationships, go back to the cross of Christ. Jesus will free you from those things. He'll free you from the need to have to impress people with your life. He'll free you from that. And what's the, what, what the beautiful thing about a relationship with Christ is his grace. And what the word of God tells us is that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can go back to the Lord and find his grace and his mercy over and over and over again. Humility combats your temptation and your weakness Christ is strong we all struggle and we will all struggle to the day we die I wish it was better news but we will because we still are battling the flesh but it's not without hope it's not without strength from the Lord. There's no temptation that is so great that it can overcome you or overpower you that God has not made an escape through his son Jesus. So we have an advocate now that we can run to even in our times of weakness and our struggle. Remember, the struggle is not sin. The temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted. The, the, the sin comes in when I give into it and I just say, well, God, I, I'm just going to give up and just do what I want to do. And then we begin to do our own thing. And we rebel against God and his will. When I can go to God and humble myself and say, God, I am struggling with this. And you know what? We all got our stuff we need to deal with. The stuff you deal with may not be the stuff that I deal with, right? But we all got our stuff. And we need to show a lot of grace to one another. But the way we deal with our struggle and our stuff is to bring it to the Lord every day. Say, God, I need your strength. I don't know what I'm faced with today, what temptation I may be faced with today, but I know that through Christ and through my obedience to him, he will help me. So listen, let me just give you one thing here. and I'm going to shut up. We're going to baptize people and I'm excited about that. Let me give you one thing here. Be careful about using the word victory in your life over your struggles. Jerry Bridges wrote a, a great book on the, on, on the pursuit of holiness and what he said in that book was this. When we say that we have victory over something in our life that we battled with, you open yourself up for failure. Because what you can say in your mind is I've got victory over this thing, which means I'm never going to struggle with it again, or fall again. Guess what? Boom. You open yourself up. Instead, think of it this way. God, I need to be obedient to you in my life. There's a struggle that I have and I may have the struggle to the day I die, but I need to be obedient to you. Help me in my struggle to be obedient to you. See, now you deflect the strength from yourself to your strength in Christ to help you with that struggle. And guess what? God is big enough to handle your struggles. Just be honest with him. Say, God, I'm struggling with this today. And he's faithful to show you his grace and your strength to work through it God doesn't want you to be overwhelmed with guilt. So many times when we look at temptation, we we feel this guilt like, why am I still struggling with this temptation? Guess what? We're all going to be tempted to the the resurrection. Jesus was tempted. In fact, when he was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, it said the devil left him for another opportune time. And that's Jesus. Right? So stop thinking that you're you're just going to never battle with stuff or struggle with stuff. We are. But the hope is, is our strength is in Christ now. And through our obedience, we can find freedom in those areas in our lives as we submit to him. Amen? So so we're going to struggle. So in our struggle, we can find our hope and hope in Christ. So in Christ, in Christ, we have a choice to choose him, to find strength to help us in our times of temptation and find a way through Christ Jesus to overcome it. Through him, through him. So recognize your weakness, confess it to the Lord, and his grace will be sufficient. And in your weakness, he'll be strong. I'll tell you what, the best conversations I have when I'm dealing with couples or even in my own relationship with Kathleen as we're able, when we're able to admit our weaknesses to one another, it's like God's grace just drops a bomb in, in those conversations. He does. Stop feeling you've got to be in control of everything. Stop feeling that confession of your weakness is weakness. It's not. It's actually the opposite. It's showing Christ's strength in your life to overcome the schemes and the lure of the enemy and it's okay I only did on this it's okay to have those conversations couples of being open and vulnerable and saying is there a thing in my life that you've seen that I need to work on and I'm sorry about that in a loving not nagging way not, oh, I've been waiting for this conversation. Woo! Pastor gave me the green light. Let's do it. Honey, we gotta talk after service. If you do that, stop it. Don't do that. But those are great conversations. That that if they're grace filled, God can do amazing things in your life. Amen. Okay. Well, let's pray. We're gonna take communion. As we take communion today, um, I just want to remind you of why we take communion. If if you uh, need a communion cup, we do have them available in the back if you did miss it. Let me just say this. Communion is open to anyone. You don't have to be a member of our church to take communion, but uh, you do have to be a member of the family of God in Christ Jesus. So if you're here and you're like, yeah, I don't really know where I stand with Christ, we're going to pray. And uh, the word of God tells us that anyone that calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. And, And you can find forgiveness in Christ today a covering for your sins today. And by all means, take communion with us of those that are followers of God. And so when we take communion, what we're doing is Jesus says, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. So what did Jesus do for us? Well, he gave his life on the cross for us. He became our substitute for our sin. He took on our sin. He bore our sin to appease the holiness of God. And then through our relationship with Christ, through our faith in Christ Jesus, God now imputes his righteousness so that our relationship with God, our vertical relationship with God is made right. So when we stand before God, it's not in my own strength. And everybody said, amen. It's not through my good works. I'll weigh my bad works. I'm just hoping it works and that God will receive me. No, forget that stuff because you'll never be good enough. But through Christ Jesus, he is because he was God and he appeased the righteous demands of his father. And so when we take communion, we're remembering what Jesus did for us, that we don't stand in our own strength, that it's through the precious blood of Jesus Christ that covers us from our sins, that make us right before God, that we can stand before God and God will receive us, not because of us or, or the things, the bad choices we made, but because we're now covered in Christ Jesus and his sacrifice and he receives us in his son. And that's available for anyone who puts their faith in Christ Jesus. Let him transform your life. So Jesus, whenever you do this, remember. Remember what I did for you. The Apostle Paul says, examine your heart before you do this. So we need to examine and allow God to say, God, you know, I just give you my heart today and I need your covering again and I need your forgiveness. But just examine my heart because I don't want to take this haphazardly. I don't want to do this religiously. Um, I want to do this with the right heart. And if you do that, God receives it. He accepts it. And So let's make sure as we examine our hearts, we recognize what we're doing is we're exclaiming that Jesus and Jesus alone is the only way. The Father, that he and he alone is the only one that can cover my sin, and my shortcomings. He's the only one that can heal me. So as we take communion today, let's recognize that and glorify God for what he did in his son Jesus for you and I. So let me pray with you. We'll take communion. We're going to sing a song at the end and uh, Pastor Bran and I will get ready to, uh, for the baptismal service. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm thankful for Jesus and his grace. Aren't you? that he receives us over and over again. So let's thank him. Let's thank him this morning. Father God, in our strength, in our works, we fail all the time. But thank you that you knew that and you sent your son to save us, to save us from ourselves, the ability to want to do things in our own strength. And the more we recognize our weakness, the more we see the strength of Christ in our lives, the more we have the ability to work through the temptation in our life through the power of Jesus' name. So as we take communion today, we recognize your blood that was shed for us. There could be no forgiveness of sin unless there was a sacrifice, unless there was a shedding of blood. And Jesus, you did not spare your own life for us. Thank you that the wafer represents your body that was given for us. That everything we need is found in you, Jesus. So we love you, we praise you, and as we take this together, as we take this as the church, just unify our hearts and our lives together. In the powerful name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Would you take out your cup? Um, take out the bread, and then you can open up your cup, and and uh, we'll take this. Uh, we'll take this together. Amen. Amen. So whenever you're ready, just go ahead and take the wafer. We thank you, Jesus, for your body that was given for us. And when you're ready, let's take the cup together, symbolizing Jesus' blood that was given for us. Amen. Amen. And when you've done that, if you could stand with me, we're just going to sing this beautiful song, and then we're going to baptize believers. What an exciting day it is. Amen. Amen. Can we thank God for his word today? God is so good. Amen.